mobile phones, laptops, tablets, and everything in between. This is Sean and Sean, and you're listening to the Silicon Theory Podcast. Greetings, fellow tech seekers. Welcome to the Silicon Theory Podcast. I am Sean, your host and moderator, and with me, as always, my partner, Sean P. What's up, guys? Let's uh, let's not beat around the bush. This is the July slash August rumor roundup pod. We've got a crap ton of stuff to talk about. So I know that we just recently released a podcast last week, but since there's so much, we're going to go ahead and do another one. And quite honestly, we haven't done a rumor roundup in a little while. So let's uh, let's dive right in. Top of the list is. A little bit of news regarding the Galaxy S8 Active. What did we learn today, Sean? The Galaxy S8 Active got officially announced today. Uh, For the time being, it's an AT&T exclusive. Historically speaking, the Active phones have always been AT&T exclusives, so this isn't anything new. But with the way everything was phrased today, it's for a limited time. So the thought process here is Samsung's going to either release it across other carriers or at the very least have an unlocked version that people will be able to buy. And what you have in the Galaxy S8 Active is essentially they took the Galaxy S8, they made the screen flat instead of curved, they added a much larger battery at 4,000 mAh, which is huge. Very uh, large. Compared to the normal Galaxy S8, which has a 3,000 mAh battery, and it's even quite a bit larger than the 3,500 mAh battery in the Galaxy S8 Plus, so a very, very large battery. Um, And you have a very, very rugged phone, so... Um, this has MIL, which is a military spec shock-resistant rating. It has the IP68, and uh, it also has like a. It sounds like the screen is kind of like a plastic substrate, so that it won't break. But then it has Gorilla Glass Five over it, which can break. So that seems like kind of a weird thing. It's not like the Motorola where there is no actual glass and it's just plastic. But it still sounds like it's um, not as likely to break on you as the normal Galaxy S8. So it looks like a Galaxy S8 inside of a case, but the case is the phone itself, basically. It looks kind of like an LG G6 from the front in a lot of ways, actually, because the screen's flat. So it has the flat screen with the curved you know, corners like the LG G6. It doesn't have a front logo, though, so I think it actually looks aesthetically a little bit better, but it does have pretty pronounced corners, which gives it some drop protection. And the back, instead of being glass, is now uh, plastic. Essentially, from what I can tell. Any mention of wireless charging? Yes, it does have wireless charging. So, from a spec standpoint, it has everything the normal Galaxy S8 has. So, it has a 2960 by 1440 AMOLED screen. It's got 4 gig of RAM, 64 gigabytes of storage, SD card slot, 12 megapixel camera on the back, 8 megapixel camera on the front. Uh, and really just has a much larger battery at 4000 mAh compared to the normal uh, Galaxy S8. So, I'm really kind of excited by this phone. I think there's a lot of people out there that don't like the curved, you know, screen of the Galaxy S8, and this gives them a flat screen version they can buy. And in addition to that, another huge perk of a just ridiculously large battery. Uh, I think the battery life on this is going to be based off of my phone, which has a larger screen and a smaller battery, but the same everything else. I think this thing will last you easily a day and a half, or probably like in the two day range. It's pretty awesome considering that um, and kind of what you touched on is for those people who weren't really thrilled with the design choice that Samsung made this year using the dual curve displays in both versions of the display, both versions of the device. And for those of you that don't remember the Galaxy S7 and S7 Edge 
uh, had that as their differentiator. The S7 had a flat screen and the S7 Edge had the dual curve display. Now, both versions of the Galaxy S8, the S8 and the S8 Plus have the dual curve display. So who, people who are looking to upgrade but still wanted that flat display now have a choice, which is nice. It's a little bit more ruggedized of a choice, but at least you still get a choice. And the trade-off for the larger some people might say bulkier size is you get that big ass battery in it, which is, I agree, fantastic. Like this is everything I think that people who are a little bit disappointed with the S8 were looking for in a phone. I can think of at least two people in my family that this might work well for. And compared to previous active phones, Samsung used to do kind of this like weird camo back on them that was quite honestly just hideous. And this one's not like that. It just has a flat, it's black on the back and they have a gold version, which I'm not usually into gold phones, but the gold's pretty muted. So it's, it's actually not a bad look. Yeah, I saw it too. It, there are some pictures of the gold one up at silicontheory.com. If you want to check it out, go check that out. But yeah, it is not obnoxiously gold. It's, it's like a almost like a desert tan, maybe. It looks like a pewter almost yeah. to me, like a real yeah. muted gold. I actually, it, it's not bad at all. Gold phones can be pretty ugly sometimes, and this isn't one of them. So this had been rumored for a long time. We'd seen pictures floating around. We got confirmation today. Um, I don't know if we got pricing. I didn't see anything. I expect it to be pretty pricey at first, but there have been some pretty aggressive deals out there for the Galaxy S8, so I'm expecting this to follow suit. And Again, I can think of a couple of people in my family that this would be perfect for, and the battery life I think is going to be pretty amazing. So looking forward to seeing how that all pans out. Android Police had it at just shy of $25 for 30 months on an AT&T Next plan, which would put the phone at $750, uh, which is right in line with the Galaxy S8 pricing, but you're getting, I think, personally, quite a bit more for your $750. So uh, to me, it would totally be worth it. This would absolutely be a phone that I would get a couple of people in my family who have a tendency to drop and or otherwise mangle phones, and this phone is darn near bulletproof. I, for one, though, am disappointed that they don't have a camouflage version because camouflage is awesome in everything, no exceptions, full stop. Uh, that was one of the ugliest phones I've ever seen. I think the Galaxy S5 and S6 Active specifically, so we're going to have to agree to disagree here. How dare you, sir? Yeah. So I think that's it for the news portion. Let's move on to the rumors, and let's start with another Samsung phone, and that is the Note 8, which has pretty much been all but unveiled. So what do we absolutely know now about the Note 8? I was going to say, calling it a rumor at this point is probably a bit of a stretch. It it might actually fit in the news section. So if you took a Galaxy S8 Plus, which is a 6.2-inch phone, and you made the screen slightly larger at 6.3 inches, you squared off the edges of the phone and made it look less round, you added a dual camera and an S Pen, you would basically have... The Note 8. The Note 8. So what we're looking at here... From a processor standpoint, uh, everything's identical to the Galaxy S8 Twins, so Snapdragon 8, S835 in the States, Exynos 8895 overseas. Um, this has 6 gig of RAM as opposed to the 4 gig of RAM in the Galaxy S8 Twins, so there is a spec bump there. 64 gig of memory, SD card slot. The screen is a 6.3 inch 2960 by 1440 p AMOLED panel. Super AMOLED. Yeah, it is curved, but again, it's not as curved actually around the corner radiuses as the Galaxy S8 Plus. It's a little more squared off there. Just like the, it matches the radius of the actual border of the phone, so it looks nice. Um, the battery capacity is being reduced a little bit. It's 3,500 in the Galaxy S8 Plus. It's 3,300 in the Note 8, and that's due to the uh, S Pen. Um, it's not due to the explodingness of the Galaxy Note 7? Uh, maybe a little column A, a little column B, actually. 
Uh, this is Samsung's first dual screen flagship, so we are getting dual 12 megapixel cameras. Dual camera. Dual, what I say? Dual screen. Yeah, not dual screens. Not so dual much. screens? No, that would be awesome. No, not dual screen. It's a Monday, people. You're lucky you're getting this level of uh, <laughs> clarity. I concur. Uh, dual cameras, yes, on the back. So the rumor is that you're going to have 3x lossless zoom, so it kind of is doing the telephoto style that Apple's doing. Hmm. But we don't really know a lot yet other than the resolution, so that'll be kind of a something we can look forward to during the announcement. Uh, it's supposed to be announced in late August and go on sale in, I think, mid to late September is what I've been reading. I agree. I think that's what I saw, too. Uh, rumored price tags, rumored to be pricey. I'm going to go ahead and guess that it's going to be $949 base. <laughs> I, I've heard 1000 um, in some instances, so we'll see. Um, from a look standpoint, I like it. It looks nice the same way all, you know, kind of the new Samsung design language is. It's, it's tall. Um... I'm not sure I like the more squared off design more than I like the Galaxy S8 Plus. In some ways, I think the Galaxy S8 Plus looks better. This, the dual camera on the back too, there's a lot going on back there because you have the two, cam two cameras horizontally stacked, then you have the flash, and then you still have the ghastly fingerprint on the back as well. So there's a lot going on back there. It's not quite as clean in some instances. From the front though, the live pictures that leaked out today look pretty nice actually. So Not bad. Um, it's a nice phone. I, it's not super exciting to me. It looks, we've talked about this before, the differentiation between the Galaxy S8 and the Note over the years has gotten you know less and less. They're basically very, very similar, plus an S Pen and some minor differences, and that's what you're getting here. But it, it, it looks nice. I'm looking forward to it. It's just not a huge departure from what we've already seen with the S8 Plus. And here's my question. Is this a $950 phone? Is any phone a $950 phone? We'll get to the Apple portion of the program a little bit later on this evening, but then that maybe that answers the question. Like, do do does anyone other than maybe diehard note enthusiast pick up this phone? I think the answer is yes. These phones are quite popular. I mean, the Galaxy S8 Plus was the most expensive Galaxy S by far, and it sold really well. I just saw, I think it I think there were 20 million units now or something. So, I mean, they're not hurting for sales, that's for sure. I, the Note line, too, when you're talking about a price per, per dollar standpoint, price, you know, the value that you're getting for your money, it's pretty high on that list. It's really expensive, but it's not really missing anything. It's got pretty much the best screen, the best, best processor. It's got the six gigabytes of RAM, dual cameras, which are probably going to be you know, right at the top of the best on the market, uh, wireless charging, IP68 waterproof. Um, big battery. What is what is the S8 Plus start at? Well, What's the base price of that. The base price of it is I think 849 is what it like lists for. Okay. But you can get it for considerably less now. I've seen it okay. in the 649 range, I think. So, but at full retail, 849 is two gigs of RAM more, a smaller battery, and a dual camera worth a hundred dollar premium, potentially a hundred dollar premium, maybe even more. Probably not, but I think most people are buying it for the S Pen. When I had my notes, I was not using the S Pen full disclosure very often, I have to be honest. It was more of a That's a hundred dollar pen we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and for me that was more of a a toy. I, I just wasn't I'm not using this as a professional phone. I have a work phone. This is just my personal phone. So for me, it was something you might pull out occasionally and doodle on, and it, and it has some cool stuff that they can do, but I just wasn't utilizing it. So for me, the answer would be no. I'd rather have the extra battery capacity, um, all things considered, in the lower price. Uh, but still, 
for all that it offers, there isn't really much out there that's comparable. And if you're paying top dollar for a phone, this is a phone that really isn't missing anything as far as features are concerned. True, true. And I guess we will see ultimately how in how well the Note 8 does, whether or not it is a significant enough improvement, at least here in the States. Obviously, globally, it would be different because um, the Asian markets tend to be a little bit more spec focused. And so that kind of thing, you know, extra two gigs of RAM just for bragging rights might be worth it to spend that extra money. Um, but I guess we'll see when sales numbers come out. Yeah, and this is something that I used to obsess about in YouTube. I know we were kind of like the spec guys, but as I've used more phones, so I've used phones this year with four gigabytes, six gigabytes, eight gigabytes of RAM, and in day-to-day usage, it doesn't really matter that much. I would say the RAM management in the software is far more important than the actual amount of RAM the devices has. Samsung's RAM management is insanely aggressive, so I'm going to imagine that even the Note 8 with six gigabytes of RAM will not function as well from a multitasking standpoint as a Pixel with four gigabytes of RAM just because of the way they manage things. Or even maybe like a OnePlus. Yeah, so I, I don't think the six gigabytes in actual practice, especially with how aggressive Samsung is with RAM management, is really going to matter much. Let's hope not, and let's hope for Samsung's sake and for the redemption of the lo- the Note line in general uh, that it does pretty well because they, well, I don't think they're hurting. I think I saw a report earlier today that they are uh, on pace to shack- shatter the uh, Apple record for profits in a quarter. So yeah, I think they, they're doing okay. They had record profits last quarter for them too, so clearly they've bounced back from the Note 7 issues. And this looks like another very strong contender in their phone lineup. You can always pick Samsung apart for their software. People hate TouchWiz, but from a hardware standpoint, it's hard to argue that their hardware is probably probably the most well-rounded on the market. Agreed. Uh, speaking of a phone company that's doing extremely well and they're having excellent sales of their flagship device, let's talk about what we heard about the LG V30 today. The LG V30 looks really promising to me. I think the LG V6 is an underrated phone. I'm actually a pretty big fan of it. Is Would you say that it's fly like a G6? I will never, ever say that out loud. That joke just keeps on getting. I will also continue to admonish you for saying <laughs> that out loud. But the V30 looks great. They took the G6 and they've improved upon it in every way that you can imagine. So what we're looking at here is a six-inch POLED screen produced by LG. Um, You may remember they have actually produced POLED screens in the past. This was used on the G Flex -Flex. and the G Flex 2. So they have done this, but on their flagship line, so the G line, they've never used an AMOLED screen before, nor have they on the V series. So this is a first. So it's a six-inch POLED screen. It's rumored to have a slight curve on the side like the Samsung's do, but in the actual renders that have leaked out, it's either a very, very Very slight curve or almost not at all. It looks almost flat to me. But the design itself looks great. It's, um, as opposed to the LG G6, the top and bottom bezel are now symmetrical. So they're, and they're both tiny. Um, in fact, when you put it next to the Galaxy S8 Plus, it actually has slightly smaller bezels. So it's a very, the footprint's very small. It's only slightly larger than the LG G6 and definitely smaller than the S8 Plus. So I think from a size standpoint, it's gonna be pretty close to the Pixel XL, only instead of a 5.5 inch screen, you have a six inch screen, which is pretty impressive. They ran out of room for a logo. I never liked the logo on the G6. I thought it looked cheap, so the logo's now moved to the back. RIP LG logo. We hardly knew you. Yeah, so that's an improvement right off the bat. And then as far as the specs are concerned, you have the Snapdragon 835. It looks like there may be a 4 gig, 64 gig memory variant, and then a 6 gig, 128 gig variant. Now, if this is similar to other phones this year, the 6 gig variant may be only available overseas. 
as we just discussed, I don't think this is a big deal. I think four gigabytes and 64 is just fine. It has SD card support, so you can expand that. From a camera standpoint, you have the dual cameras on the back, but they're improving the optics from the G6. Um, in fact, it looks like it's going to have the first uh, smartphone camera on the back with a 1.6 aperture. I read that as well, and it's very exciting. Yeah, I mean, so from a low light standard, it should be awesome. This should be the new standard yeah. in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, rear fingerprint scanner, uh, all, all the normal stuff that you're kind of used to from LG otherwise. We've seen a lot of leaks on this. Today they accidentally leaked a promo video that had stills in it. And when the phone is in hand of the actors in the in the video, it looks really nice in my opinion. It was kind of a silver color as far as I could tell in the video. Yeah. The renders have been black, but this was something else. It wasn't quite the same silver that they used on the G6. This was something that looked nicer to my eyes. But I'm really looking forward to this phone. It's when you start comparing spec-wise or even design-wise to the Note 8, for instance, they compare very favorably. I think the fingerprint's going to be nice. It's a, it's a smaller phone. It's much smaller than the Note 8. It's, I think in hand, this is going to be the sweet spot for a lot of people. Yeah, and be. it looks like they've addressed virtually every weakness I thought they kind of had. So you know, their sales numbers, unfortunately, have not been great. LG did not have a great quarter last year. The G6 sales were below expectations. And it's too bad because I think from a hardware standpoint, they've almost caught up with Samsung in a lot of ways. And I think having a flat screen phone, they may actually attract buyers because there's a lot of people that don't like the curved screens. I, I agree. And, and not just on that point, but I think in general and a couple of other things which also may or may not make it to the U.S. variants that we hadn't touched on. And, and this was basically what came out of the leak that long, that came out today. Um, LG looks like they're trying to position the V series as kind of like the multimedia powerhouse. Like they're throwing their great cameras in it. It is supposed to have the new and improved quad DAC in it, which will provide for an improved audio listening experience. And they're also providing, um, something called RAM, which is, um, recording, forgive me if I butcher this, but I think it's recording for, uh, an external microphone or whatever, but basically when I saw RAM, I was like, what? what are you talking about? Memory? No. But what they're talking about is basically that the device will support upgraded recording of audio as well as the the improved playback of audio. So it really looks like they're trying to position this as a phone for people who are primarily watching and recording both still images and presumably video and then reproducing that video in some form or fashion, either through sharing it to YouTube or putting on Instagram or whatever else the case might be. So it, it does look great. It looks great in hand. Now, obviously, we're going to want to get our hands on the device and take a look at it in person, but there is really a lot to like here and not the least of which, which we'll go back to in a little bit, is that new OLED display because LG's LCD panels have been good-ish to very good, I think, in the past. And I'm excited to see what they can do with ramped up OLED production displays. Yeah, as far as the LCDs have been, it's been kind of a roller coaster with them. I thought the G4 was pretty good. The G5 was okay. And the G6 was kind of a return to form. It's a pretty good LCD. But yeah, the OLED is exciting because it, it really is kind of the future. Everyone's moving to OLED, so it's good to see them make the move. And even beyond that, the V-Series has been known for its secondary display. But it was always LCD, so it had to be lit independently, and there was some downside to doing it. And with the POLED screen, what they're doing is they have these floating panels, is what they're calling it, from what I've read, where essentially you can still have a secondary screen, but because it's an OLED screen, it just lights those icons. And 
it looks like they're going to give you a lot of control over what you can do with this. You know, since it's now software and not effectively it's on secondary screen, it really gives you a lot of flexibility. So we haven't seen a leak of exactly what they're going to allow you to do, but it looks like it's going to be quite a lot. So I, I really... LG, I know, has had a couple of disappointing quarters. The G5 did not go over that well. The V20 was not great. I felt like the G6 was an underrated phone. I still feel that way. And this, to me, looks like it really can compete toe-to-toe with the Note 8 and in some ways may actually surpass it, which is kind of crazy to me. It is interesting, and I'm definitely in as many ways as... Um as many ways as the G6 was kind of an underrated phone, I'm hoping that the V30 is not an underrated phone. I hope it launches with the appropriate amount of fanfare. I hope they price it appropriately so that people will have an opportunity maybe to get into it at a slightly sub premium price bracket because the competition later on this year, not only from the Note 8, which we know is coming in the next month and a half, we know that there's an iPhone out there that's coming. We know that there's a Pixel device, actually two Pixel devices that are coming, and they're already in competition with the Galaxy S8 Plus size device. So there is a lot of competition in the premium space, and I think if LG took an opportunity to come in at slightly below those expected price points, I think, I mean, from the on the one hand, they don't want to tarnish their brand reputation as not being a premium phone. But on the other hand, I think if you're looking at it from a competition standpoint, if they're all priced the same, consumers are going to probably go with name recognition. And Samsung, iPhone, and even Google right now dominate that in terms of mind share. Yeah, LG just doesn't have the loyalty and cachet, if you will, to charge the same prices as those other guys right now. I expect that this will probably release at a pretty expensive price point. I think it'll be close to those other phones. But if previous LG phones have been any indication, they typically run very aggressive sales pretty quickly afterwards. You know, buy one, get ones, or discounted prices. So $100 off. Yeah, I expect it to be close to the competition initially to get those kind of early adopters, people that really want it, and then I expect the prices to fall. Um, Long-term, though... LG needs to get in as many hands as possible so they can start trying to draw some of that share away. But the flip side is if you price it too inexpensive, if you will, the the resale on LG phones has been terrible, which I think is part of what they've kind of always fought against. Their phones, you could buy them for less, but they didn't hold up as far as resale very well, especially compared to the Samsung, the Apples, and Google phones. So this is one of those things where it's kind of a double-edged sword, but with the OLED screen too, I'm going to imagine it's a little bit more expensive to make and, you know the quad DAC and all the things it's adding, but I, I'm excited and it still has a headphone jack. I can't believe we're at a point where we have to say that. Say what? Yeah, I know, but it actually does. And I, I, it looks strong. I don't think it'll be a huge sales success. I don't want to oversell this, but I think LG, when I look at what they're doing with this phone, if you had said, hey, how would you improve the V20 or what things would you change to make us more relevant to compete with the Note 8? It looks like they've done everything that I would have done. I agree. And I think that they are listening to consumers. I think they are doing the right things. I just wish they would have done them a lot sooner than 2017. We'll see though. Maybe there's still a chance for them. True enough. Let's talk a little bit about another phone that's kind of in the same class with the all aluminum chassis and the really big battery and the really big display. And that's going to be the successor to the Huawei Mate 9, which conveniently and appropriately titled will probably be the Mate 10. What did we hear about the Mate 10 recently, Sean? So before we even get into the Mate 10, people, Huawei is kind of this brand that I don't think a lot of people know. They almost sold as many phones as Apple last quarter. I mean, to give you guys an idea of how big this company is overseas, 
They're the number three smartphone maker in the world, as far as I know, only behind Samsung and Apple, and they're making up ground right. to the point where they think they're probably going to pass Apple. Now, Apple's about to release a phone, which we're going to get to, so the numbers may skew back their direction, but this it's not a stretch to say that in the not-so-distant future, maybe as soon as next year, Huawei will outsell Apple, which I know sounds crazy as far as smartphones, but um, the Huawei Mate 10, uh, the rumor is actually maybe the first all display front phone. So we've had all of these, you know, infinity display phones. We've had the essential phone. We've had phones that are quote unquote bezel-less, but they're not really right. They all have bezels still. This is rumored to actually be potentially the first bezel-less phone. And they're using a six inch JDI developed, I believe, LCD screen. Um, and the resolution is 2160 by 1080. So hmm. they're not, their phones historically have not been 1440p like some of the competition. They've had large LCDs. My wife has a Mate 9. It's a 5.9 inch 1080p screen. Um, and some people have said, hey, you know, this is a little bit of a, a downgrade, but they use three subpixel phones, so it's not pentile like the AMOLEDs. And so when you get them side by side with a 1440p of the same size, they look relatively the same sharpness. Yeah, yeah it doesn't look close. much difference to me. So um, I don't think it's a big deal, but the 2160 by 1080 means that they're obviously moving to the uh, kind of 18 by 9 uh, as taller aspect ratio that we've seen LG and Samsung move to. So they're moving that direction. We haven't actually seen any leaks yet, so we can't confirm that is it indeed going to be the case as far as the no bezel. But we do know pretty much for a fact that that section screen is what they're going to use in this phone. So um, that's coming. As, as far as specs are concerned, we're going to have a Kirin 970 which is the successor to the Kirin 960 that was in the Mate 9. This is a Huawei-developed processor um, on a 10 nanometer process. So previously their phones had been on a 16 nanometer process. This will be their first processor of the smaller die size. And what that means for you, the user, is better battery life. Much more um, efficient processor. Yeah, and the other thing that we don't know yet, it, the rumors still are inconclusive, but um, Huawei, like as Qualcomm is now doing, and Samsung for that matter, are using reference ARM cores. Mm. And the ARM design that is in the Snapdragon 835 and in the Exynos 8895 is the ARM A73. That is also what the Kirin 960 was. For the Kirin 970, we do not know yet. It might be an A73, but it might actually be the new A75s, which would put them kind of a, a half generation ahead of the others, if not a full generation, actually. So that remains to be seen. We don't know yet, but that's something to look out for when this actually gets announced. As far as the other specs are concerned, you're probably looking at either 4 or 6 gigabyte of RAM. We don't know yet. Huawei and their other flagships more recently have moved to 6 gigabytes of RAM, so it's not a stretch to speculate that they may do that here. And then as far as memory, you're probably going to get 64 gigabytes of base storage plus SD card support. Battery size is unknown, but the previous Mate 9 had a 4,000 milliamp hour battery. Um, the new Honor Note has a 4,600 milliamp hour battery is the rumor. That so insanity, by the way. Yeah, we may see a 4,600 milliamp hour battery in this phone. Um, I think it's safe to say it's either going to be... 4,000 or 4,600. Uh, we don't know yet, but probably somewhere. It's um, big. It's yeah, going to be big. big. It's going to be a big battery. And, and coupled with the new 10 nanometer process, the battery life should be 
pretty good. Pretty darn good. Um, we're going to get the continuation of the dual camera line on the back. Uh, I've read rumors that it might be actually dual 12 megapixel cameras. So right now on the Mate 9, Huawei is using a 20 megapixel monochrome camera for depth and kind of color, or depth and lighting, excuse me, and a 12 megapixel camera for the actual, you know, color imaging. And then they kind of splice that together. The rumor is they may be moving to dual 12s with, with smaller apertures to let in more light, which has been common amongst flagships mm-hmm. the last couple of years. But we just don't know yet. And then uh, metal chassis, fingerprint scanner on the back, so all that good stuff. The other rumor is that AT&T may carry a flagship in the United States from Huawei, which would be a first on any carrier for them. And it's not a stretch to think that this may be the the flagship that they're going to carry. Yeah, and the first quarter of 2018 is when this rumor is supposed to be... Uh, when Huawei will have their new flagship smartphone debut on AT&T. And I agree. I don't think it's that much of a stretch to assume that it's going to be the Mate 10. And if they do, I think it would be a great phone to get on AT&T because I think there are a lot of people who are going to like this phone. I mean, it's big with hopefully a relatively small size footprint. Huawei has typically had very good build quality. Their fingerprint scanners are some of the fastest, and their cameras actually have been very good. My wife loves her camera. She used the monochrome uh, sensor a ton when we were just on a recent trip in New York because, you know, the churches and, like, the buildings, it really kind of, it's a really neat look. So she, you know, she loves that phone. Um, The Mate 9 is one of the most underrated phones on the market last year because it was unlocked and not on a carrier. I don't think a lot of people knew about it. Its price dropped down to $499 now, and I I still think even at that price, even today, it's an excellent phone for the money. Um, It's missing water resistance. It'll be interesting to see if the Mate 10, excuse me, has that because I think that's really the main thing that it's missing. The higher resolution screen is just not an issue to my eyes. When I get it next to the other flagship phones, it looks great. Now everyone else is kind of moving to AMOLED, so LCDs are considered to be maybe the lesser of the, you know, screens, so to speak. But her screen looks pretty damn good. It's not quite as good as the others, but this this looks to be an improvement on that. And I, I'm excited to see what they do. They said the Mate 9 is a really underrated phone, and if they actually come out with a 4,600 milliamp hour battery Mate 10 that has all the things we're talking about. That's going to be a killer phone for someone that really, you know, a power user that's looking for battery life. And I think that um, I speak uh, also for a lot of people when I say I also am very excited for this phone. 2017 has turned out to be everything as advertised in terms of what we're getting in, in quality flagship level mobile phones. And it sounds like even though the Mate 10 may not release until 2018, that we're not going to be disappointed by it either. So, And it solves one of the biggest beefs that we've had with Huawei's devices. They're selling a ton of phones overseas, but their U.S. presence has been hampered by a lack of a carrier support. And now with AT&T, one of the largest carriers in the United States, you're going to have that problem fixed. So good on you, Huawei. Um, we like what you're doing. We've got our eyes on you, and we will be watching. Yeah, and sorry for the noise, everyone. The jingles. That is our special guest, uh, Sadie, the dog, who's just made her presence known. And I want to make sure all of you out there know that she's here and, and Sadie thinking of you. So she's she wanted to join in on the pod. Sadie, the dog, is very fond of technology, so she's going to be joining us on this and perhaps future podcasts as well. Yeah. So moving right along, next we're doing something that's very near and dear to my heart, <laughs> allegedly. Well, 
kind of sort of near and dear to my heart, and that is the rumors and leaks that came out uh, over this weekend and today about the Google Pixel 2. So uh, I'm going to say that as a current gen Pixel owner, um, the the trend that we've seen so far, and we'll talk a little bit about the rumors behind this in a second, but the trend that we've seen so far in the disparity between the LG fabbed Pixel XL2 and the HTC fabbed Pixel 2 are alarming and it it kind of makes me want to vomit a little bit um, and I'm I'm being only slightly facetious when I say that but the the pixel 2's photos that were released into the wild today make it look a little bit better than we thought it was going to be before but it's basically going to look in a lot of ways identical to the original pixel that was released last year also fab by HTC and namely they are and I'm going to use this word they're skewing the the modern design of smartphones that were released in 2017 to do what I'm going to call we're bringing bezels back so from a development standpoint let's let's do a little bit of a history lesson on what we think we know about the Pixel 2 development cycle for the better part of six months, there was all kinds of rumors that HTC was designing the Pixel 2 and the Pixel XL 2. And then there was the rumor of a third phone being developed also out there uh, by LG. And there's code names for each and everyone was talking about these and they were out there. So let's take it even before we go, let's take it even further back than that and say that there was a rumor that was around when the original Pixel was made that HTC had a two-year or maybe even some people said a three-year fab agreement with Google to produce successive generations of these Pixel phones. Now, the critical acclaim that the regular Pixel received when it was launched would tell me, okay, HTC, all I've got to do is just fix a couple of things, a couple of tweaks, and you may have yourself a hit on your hands. But that's that's where we started, and then we went to, oh, maybe there's going to be three of these phones out there. Yeah, and it looks like what happened a couple months ago is all of a sudden the Pixel 2 XL, the original HTC version, all of a sudden was canceled. And the rumor became that the LG-developed larger third phone was now going to become the Pixel 2 XL. So there's a lot of stuff going on, right? There's a lot of activity going on. Here's what it looks like happened to me. HTC was developing the new Pixels, and basically they took the old Pixel design, they squared the corners off, and they added dual front-facing speakers. So they still had the large bezel, but now there was at least a purpose behind it, so to speak, which was there was going to be speakers there. They also inexplicably decided they were getting rid of the headphone jack for reasons that completely elude me because there's clearly plenty of room. So it looks like Google maybe surveyed what was out there on the market. It sounds like there were some performance issues with the original HTC Pixel 2, and they shelved it. Now, the LG design Pixel 2 is a 6-inch, 18-9 ratio AMOLED screen, which, if you're listening, we just discussed with the V30. I mean, it's probably the same screen, right? I'm, I'm having to imagine that it is, absolutely. And the design is much more contemporary in that it has very small bezels, and I actually really love the design that's been leaked. I think Android Police leaked it first, and then a couple of very talented graphic design artists kind of took that and mocked up some different colors and things. And I think the design is very contemporary and looks really nice. On the back, they took the glass that went 
down roughly half of the phone last year, and it's now smaller. It only covers the camera, so the fingerprint scanner is not in glass. Um, the camera is still a single unit, but it's larger. I actually don't like the camera ring that I've seen in the renders of the Pixel phones. It's a little bit... It's a less elegant design. Yeah, it's that. a little too much for me. But the front of the Pixel 2 XL is a great-looking phone. I think overall it's a great design. So the photos that have leaked recently are the smaller Pixel 2, which is the HTC design. And it literally looks like they took a Pixel 1 put in speakers in the bezels, but left the bezel size the same. Pretty much. Squared off the corners, got rid of the headphone jack, moved the glass up a little bit, and called it a day. Um, these were posted on Droid Life today. GSM, GSM Marine actually posted them first. There's been a lively discussions on Reddit and everything about this. I think the design is ugly. Um, to I, me... I believe, in fact, if memory serves... You actually went on to Droid Life and posted a meme of the cheerleaders dancing to UGLY, you ain't got no alibi, you ugly, when commenting about the Pixel 2 design. Is that not true and correct, sir? Well, I think like any good American, whenever possible, I like to express myself via meme. So <laughs> if I can do that, I, I try. Or, or tweet, as it turns out, if you're in a very prominent position of power. But let's move on. So, yeah, it's... To me, the problem is this. That design looked dated last year. Yep. Everyone has moved forward. Yep. Literally, every OEM has really come out guns blazing with better phones this year. Yep. And they're going to double down on a design that already looked bad. And, by the way, are going to cons- probably continue to try to charge you a premium for it. Not only is the design the same, but you are actually, potentially, removing features, i.e. the three and a half millimeter headphone jack. Which they mocked Apple for last year, and given the size of these phones and the fact that every other manufacturer, save Motorola, has managed to, well, and HTC, pardon, have managed to keep the three and a half millimeter headphone jack, it's kind of egregious on yeah. their part. Kind of, sort of, right? Because the U-Ultra didn't have a headphone jack. The U-11 jack, also the, does not. The U-11 does not. And the Moto Z2 that just got announced does also uh, force, force yeah. also does not have a headphone jack so this isn't unheard of but it's lazy to me and I get to see a good reason for this it just seems really consumer like not consumer friendly and in there, you know the same month that this is probably going to get released you have the LG V30 which is going to have this upgraded quad DAC and a headphone jack and all these things and it's like it, it really at that point becomes kind of a what are you doing type area for me but so, so I would break it down like this. The Pixel XL2 by LG looks great to me. It's going to have water resistance. I love the design. I think it looks great. If I saw that on the shelves next to the Note 8 and the Galaxy S8 and anything else, I think it compares very favorably because you're still getting... The design's excellent in and of itself, but you're still getting all the Google tweaks and kind of, you know, all of those nice things that they do, which is great. So, I mean, it's one of those things where it, it's a really nice-looking phone. To have this little ugly Pixel huge bezel 16.9 phone. I don't know what they're thinking. It, it literally is the, uh, the, the, the runt of the litter. Like I, I can't think of any other way to describe it than that. And you know, I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to take what you said earlier a step further. I think removing the headphone jack is a stupid move. It's been described as user hostile. I tend to agree with that as well. The functionality of it is such that other than Apple, no major OEM, phone OEM, has done it and gotten away with it to successive sales. The water resistance argument 
doesn't hold water, to use a pun, a very bad one, but to use a pun. Because so Samsung, better than the UG6 pun? Uh, debate, <laughs> debatable. Uh, but the S8 and S8 Plus have headphone jacks and have IP68. And then you might say, okay, well, they have a ton. They're Samsung. They have a ton of resources to throw at this issue. And you'd be right, but LG has not been extremely successful. They are fabbing this phone for Google, and yet the G6 has water resistance and also has a headphone jack. So it makes zero sense to me. This is actually one of the major sticking points for me. Um, And yes, call me stupid. Call me whatever you want because I want the freaking headphone jack. But you know what? I paid a lot of money for some of these headphones that I have, and even the cheap ones that I have, I'd like to use them. Do I have Bluetooth headphones? Yes, I do. And I will use them when uh, occasion and the need arises. But there are times when I just want to listen to good quality music through my headphone jack on my good quality headphones. And again, maybe you say I'm stupid for using a phone to do that. But the end result is, is the arguments that I have heard up until this point for its removal are nonsensical and ridiculous. And maybe there's some, you know... I want to see when it actually comes out and see what if they have any reasoning to do this whatsoever because I can't imagine they're going to come up with a good reason, but I wonder if they're even going to try to explain it away. And it's even worse and more egregious on the Pixel 2, which retains the, by today's standards, giant bezel structure. So you have a ton of room. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say by 2015 standards, it had large bezels. I was thinking about this today after I saw the leaked pictures of the Pixel 2 again, because I keep trying to give it the benefit of the doubt, but I don't think you can. Like, if HTC was releasing the Pixel 2, so they said, we're coming out with a 16 9-inch phone with huge bezels, with no 3.5-millimeter headphone jack, and by the way, we're probably going to charge you $649 or whatever Google's going to try to charge, yeah, probably we would have said... We would be on this podcast right now saying, once again, LG has lost, excuse me, HTC has lost touch. This is why they've lost market share. This is why they can't compete. If Apple did it or if anyone did it at this point, I think we would be picking them apart. So Google doesn't get a pass for me. But it's, it's doubly strange that last year they made the big deal of these phones are the same except for, you know, very minute differences. And this year, maybe because of the troubled development, this is why we're getting this disparity. But literally, it's like you're going to get this really contemporary-looking, really nice XL2, and then you're going to have, and I'm sorry I'm saying it, this really dumpy, lower-end Pixel 2 that looked dated last year and really is going to look dated this year and just doesn't compete to me. You know what's ironic is we were lauding Google last year for their ability to have HTC Fab and produce two phones and in in essence what amounts to nine months of a 12-month development cycle for phones and said, you know what, the Pixels were a great foundation, were a great start. And next year, Google's going to have all this time to put together two fantastic phones and punch them out. And we're right back where we started because it sounds like from a development cycle standpoint, they had HTC had something in mind for them, which Google didn't like, and they scrubbed, and they had to go to their fallback plan, which is this LG Fab phone, which again, other than maybe the lack of the headphone jack and potentially a few other things, which we're still not 100% on, is not the ideal successor to the Pixel XL. And the Pixel 2 will, I'm just going to say it straight up, it, it just looks like trash. So... It's, it's, it's disappointing that once again, Google has proven themselves to be the kind of company that just 
doesn't seem like they want to or can get their act together. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they ever get it all the way, I will say. So I'm not going to be quite as harsh as you. I actually think the XL... They trash. Now, the XL2 plus a 3.5 meter headphone jack would be damn near perfect. I mean, especially with water resistance, yeah. it basically has everything. So that's why it's kind of doubly weird that they got rid of it because it really looks great otherwise. And... The lower end one is the one that I really have more issue with. I've seen renders where they've cleaned up the, you know, leak shots and it actually looks, it looks okay. But if it costs $649 and it's competing against these other phones that are on the market, it doesn't. Now, if Google surprises us and this ends up being lower cost, like if they release that lower model and it costs $399, I actually might be singing a very different tune because I think at that price point you would go, you know, you're giving up some things, but you're gaining some things too. So it's not quite so bad. But if it's $649, it's a non-starter for me. And, and I think that really they took a step backwards. I would be singing. I agree. I think at a, at a much different non-premium price point, the Pixel 2 becomes a little bit of a different value proposition. But at a premium price point, like the old song says, Pixel 2 got no reason to live. Yeah, I don't know anybody who's going to know that song, but uh, I'm going to let you have it. Everybody does. <laughs> and with that, have we have we ranted enough about Google? Do we want to rant about Apple instead now? Yeah, I, I think that I'm really looking still forward to seeing the Pixel phones, but I wish I, I hope this ends up not being true. But I think the rumors at this point probably painted as true. The other thing is this: I swear to freaking God, if they bring these phones out and you still can't buy them. <laughs> I, it's going to happen. I will write a strongly worded letter to Google. <laughs> Starting with, dear Mr. Google, um, let's talk about Apple. There's quite a bit of news that was, I'm going to say, leaked, question mark, today, or not today, but this past week, because uh, it actually was leaked by Apple themselves, if you can believe that. God so bless them. What, uh, what the heck happened here, Sean? So here's what happened in a nutshell. This is absolutely fantastic. Um, the HomePod, which we've talked about before, that's the basically Apple version of the Amazon Echo and, and Google Home, which is coming out. Um, a firmware was released to that that was meant for internal kind of developers. And apparently on firmware releases, there's a flag where you can hide references to unreleased hardware. But due to human error, which happens from time to time, that flag was not checked. And so all the references to the new iPhone X, as I'm going to call it, we've called it the iPhone 8, but I think it's more likely to be called the iPhone X, were left intact in the HomePod firmware. And we got confirmation of a great many things. So first and foremost, the design of the phone itself. So the designs that have leaked out have been quite accurate. So what we're looking at is a front face that is all screen save for a notch on the top. top. Um, but not like we've talked about the essential where it's kind of a cul-de-sac type notch. Um, this is more of a, I would say it takes up roughly 60% of the top, you know, of the phone, but it's a smaller vertically and extends across. And it, it looks, you know, it's a little cut out for the cameras and everything. It doesn't look bad to me, but I will say I actually don't like the fact that the, the bezels aren't symmetrical. I prefer the symmetrical bezels on the Galaxy S8, even though it has more bezel. So it, it's kind of weird to me. Um, when I see it in person, I have to imagine the software is pretty well developed, and I'll probably like it in person more than I like it in the you know things that have leaked out so far. But I, I don't know if I love that design with the notch cut out that's asymmetrical. It's interesting, and I think I heard—I uh, think I heard it on the Verge cast. So big shout to the Verge cast people. 
that um, if you look at a current iPhone display, and I actually happen to have an iPhone 6S in my pocket, so I'll pull it out. But when you look at it, that notch goes approximately where the time is in the display. But otherwise, in the upper left-hand corner, you have the signal indicator, and in the upper right-hand corner, you have the battery indicator as well as a, a few other indicators. But that notch will kind of sit right in a place where, much like the essential phone, it's kind of dead space anyways, because you can always move the time somewhere else. And it, quite honestly, when the screen is locked, you can tap the home button and get the time anyway. So I think that notch will sit in a place when the screen is deactivated that it, you, you won't, or when the screen is activated, excuse me, you won't notice it as much, or at least I'm sure that Apple is hoping that you don't notice it as much. But from a design aesthetic, I kind of tend to agree. I don't think it would bother me a ton. It looks like, too, there's references to a split mode now. So it's pretty clear that for developers, there's just going to be a split mode where it is adding some information on either side of this bar. But the amount of room on either side is relatively small. So it really can only fit a few things. And it's one of those things where I just don't know. I didn't go ahead and just extend it all the way across because I think that you, that space is not super usable. So I think they will block it out most of the time, which begs the question, why even bother? But it doesn't it doesn't look bad, and, and Apple is pretty good with software, so I'm sure they have a solution for this. Um, I would say the other thing here is it does have a uniform 4mm bezel kind of around the side, so it is bezel-less, so to speak, but it has a, a wider side. And I think, again, the Samsung design aesthetic where it has almost no side bezel at all because of the curved screen, I mean, it literally doesn't have a side bezel almost, but it has symmetrical top and bottom. I prefer that aesthetic personally. But, you know, this is just this is a matter of taste. So it certainly doesn't look bad. And I think as far as screen to bezel ratio, it'll, it'll be the new record holder when it's released. So they're, they're pushing the envelope and I give them credit there. Um, the screen is a 5.8 inch OLED screen. So as we've discussed, this is their first OLED screen. It's Samsung manufactured, as far as we can tell, exclusively. Um, we saw a post yesterday from a VP, I believe, at um, Foxconn, who's producing the phone, that they're having major problems with the screen. Mm. Right now, they said they're, they are rejecting 40% of the screens that they're getting because the way that Apple wants the notch cut out of the screen has not been up to snuff. Um, so we've already heard that this phone is going to be scarce and hard to get and cost over $1,000. And there's been quite a lot of reports recently that it is indeed going to be pretty scarce and indeed very expensive. So And may not even release on time is what I've heard too. Yeah, we have heard maybe an October release, so we'll see. Um, other things we've gleaned from the firmware, uh, it does not have Touch ID from what we can tell. Uh, we've had a number of developers comb through the firmware very extensively and there is no no reference to Touch ID. There have been all kinds of rumors over the past couple months, excuse me, that they were having problems with the in-screen fingerprint scanner and they had to scrub it. Then there was a rumor that they were going to have an elongated home button. It sounds that there were prototypes running around with that and they were going to move the fingerprint scanner there. Sounds like that didn't make the cut. And then they also had uh, units running around and testing that had the fingerprint scanner on the back. But for aesthetic reasons, that was decided it's a no-go. So it looks like what they've settled upon based on the firmware is this um, 3D facial scanning technology that they're going to run on the front. Um, the newest rumors today seem to indicate that it will not only work in the dark, it's using some kind of infrared or something, but it will also work when it's just laying on a desk. So it has some kind of wide angle where it can really get your face. And apparently the technology is advanced enough that um, you know it can grab your face and unlock and you can use it for Apple Pay and, and other things. 
I saw someone today that said they've kind of, you know, they've seen this basically and that it works better than the first generation touch ID already. So maybe Apple's kind of cracked this. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I sure hope so because the face unlocks that we're getting right now on other mobile devices seem, or at least I've heard this to be true, that they're very easy to fool. And I have also seen evidence that the Samsung one in particular is very easy to fool with picture of your face. I can say firsthand even beyond that, whether it's easy to fool or not is irrelevant. It doesn't work that well. Um, it works in good lighting if you hold it at the right angles, but I use my fingerprint all the time. It's not, it's not a solution really for me. So Apple very well could be taking the next step. I'm certainly not going to, you know, if anyone can, they can. So we'll see what they come up with. But that looks to be the solution they've come up with, with for biometric unlocking. Uh, the resolution of the screen is going to be 2436 by 1125. Um, this is like a tripling of the uh, Retina display. So we've talked about this before with the way that Samsung excuse me, the way that Android handles resolution versus Apple, they do it really differently. So this is a way for them to have a resolution that's higher, but it basically is using this tripling effect to make it work with all the apps and everything. So again, 2436 by 1125. Because why use a standard resolution when you're Apple and you don't have to? Yeah, it's certainly lower resolution than the Samsung phones are using now, but what will be interesting to see again is Apple has never used a pentile matrix screen like Samsung does still. Um, on their iWatch, which is the only OLED product they've used at this point, they use the S-Stripe um, matrix, which is what Samsung uses on some of their tablets, and they used all the way back on the Note 2, which actually does has three subpixels for pixel, per pixel. It's in a non-standard arrangement. It has a large blue that goes vertically, and then the red and green are uh, horizontal next to it. But in practical application, that still gives you the full, you know, um, three subpixels per pixel matrix that you want. So I'm willing to bet that this will probably be the same. I don't think they're going to use a pentile matrix. So even though it's a lower resolution, effectively it may look sharper than the Samsung's. We'll see on that. That's some conjecture on my part. Um, we're going to have a virtual home button. So that's going to happen in a lot of applications since there is no home button anymore. But the OS is designed around that, so it looks like there's a whole bunch of virtual home button references. And um, as far as the design itself, it's very much what we thought before. It's going to have these dual vertically stacked dual cameras on the back. It has a pretty pronounced hump. Uh, it's going to be glass construction. And we've seen x-rays now of a chassis from Foxconn that show the coil for wireless charging. So it looks like wireless charging is a go, not only in the iPhone X, but in all of the iPhones this year. So the 7S and the 7S Plus as well. Uh, they're finally coming, adding that into their phones. Um, Android's obviously had it for years, so that'll be a welcome addition. And that's kind of what we know. Um, pricing again is going to be expensive, over a thousand dollars. You may get 128 gigabytes versus uh, of base storage with that, but it's going to be pricey and it's going to be hard to get, and it may be delayed. And I've heard that uh, 256 gig storage options may be available uh, on either the sevens or the iPhone X, iPhone Pro, whatever the heck that is they're going to call it. But yeah, I have seen Pro too. That is the other room. iPhone eight really makes no sense because no. then what do you call the phones next year? So I think it, an X would only make sense from the standpoint that it's the 10th anniversary model. So for those of you out there that aren't Roman, X is 10, right? Boom. Um, but. 
Yeah, pro would make some sense too, maybe. I think in there's there's uh, precedent for that because they have the iPad Pro, they have MacBook Pro, they have a pro version of a lot of the different computing devices that they offer. So that that's speculation again, but there is precedent for that. So who the heck knows what Apple's going to do? But the the long and the short of this is is. There's going to be a lot of interesting technology in this new Apple device, or whatever the heck they end up calling it, from the AR kit that's already been mm-hmm. released to developers, the camera in its vertical stacked arrangement, which is going to provide for a, a different or unusual augmented reality experience. Um, there's some talk about this new display resolution for a different way of using AR. and. As much as it might pain me to say that, yeah, this is probably not a phone that many people are going to enjoy because it's going to be scarce and it's going to be really, really expensive, I think what it brings to the table is the kind of game-changing technology that we're used to from Apple. And the 7S and the 7S Plus are in some ways DOA because they're basically iterative changes of the existing product, which now goes back four years in terms of design. But we're also, if, if Apple did just that, I think that there would be a gigantic outcry, much like there was a moderate outcry last year with the release of the 7. But this uh, iPhone, the newest iPhone, uh, may resolve some of those things and may get their, um, may get their fanboys salivating again with uh, delight over what this new, new iPhone will bring. Well, and, and on the 7S and 7S Plus front, we were the rumors earlier in the year was they were literally going to be the same. And that's proving to not be the case either. I think from the front, they may look the same, but from the back, they are actually switching the chassis to glass. Mm. And so a a prototype leaked out today that showed the glass back with kind of a a darkish gray color, I would say it is, and it actually looked really nice. And the glass, that would make sense too because the glass will offer wireless charging, which you can't really do with metal. So it looks like they are getting a facelift, but I would say from from what we've seen, Based off of the design, the front's going to look the same. The back's just going to be glass, which isn't a huge difference for a lot of people. I don't know how interested people are going to be in wireless charging. That's not a huge thing. So it's kind of a – we talked about this before. I don't know what their strategy is going to be because I do feel like the 7S and the 7S Plus are not going to generate a ton of excitement because they they it basically is the fourth generation of this product as far as the looks concerned. It still has the hardware goods as far as the camera and, and a lot of the other things it has going for it, but it's definitely not exciting, whereas the X or the Pro is exciting. But if you have a phone that is going to be insanely hard to get and not made in sufficient quantity, that means you know if, if you're someone that's looking to upgrade, I think I would be kind of upset to be getting the lower end, less exciting product. It seems like it may mute excitement for their own volume-selling phones, which is really their bread and butter. And I can see that. Um, I think, in a sense, it's almost like a forced migration where Apple's saying, hey, um, yeah, there's this other phone that only the super wealthy and elite will have, but you can you can go ahead and have our newest generation of this. In some respects, I think that's okay because it is an S cycle release. So I think most people would expect that it's going to be just a uh, iterative change, um, especially when they're putting a ton of R and D and resources into the bigger phone, and they're still not going to have. Uh, they're still not going to have a ton of them available. I think in a lot of ways, the iPhone maybe Pro, whatever you want to call it, will be like a proof of concept. It'll be a demo in a lot of ways of some of their other, uh, some of their other thoughts and ideas and what mobile technology can do now. Um, what's of interest to me is actually is 
surrounding the wireless charging, I'm wondering what wireless charging standard they're going to use or if they're going to introduce their own wireless charging standard. And this is probably a little bit of going into the weeds, but Apple's kind of known for doing their own like proprietary thing. Like, hey, we've got a lightning adapter and hey, we've got, you know, all this other stuff that we're going to remove the headphone jacks. You've got to use a dongle and They've, they're known for kind of doing this proprietary dance around certain types of technologies for their devices. So I'm interested if they're if they're going to use Qi, which is a very large wireless standing right now standard right now, or if they're going to do their own thing. And if they're going to do their own thing, if they're going to make people buy their own wireless charging accessories, which seems like even more of a lock-in uh, than is already existing for Apple users. Um, but to go back to your original question, I, I think I'm okay with the S cycle release being only minor and iterative. And I think that people will uh, kind of tend to shy away from, I think the price point will be such that they'll go, I really like this phone. I'm not going to spend a thousand dollars on it. So I'm going to be okay with the seven S. I'm going to be a little bit of a contrarian here though, and say, I think the S cycle minimal refresh would be a lot easier to stomach if the galaxy S excuse me, if the iPhone 7... Yes, yes. Yeah, the I know. hate flow God, I know. I got Samsung on the brain. <laughs> if the iPhone 7 had actually been a new design, that would be one thing, but didn't we really get, like... It's supposed to be TikTok, right? But really, we've already had TikTok-talk, and this is Talk 3. So, yes, normally in S, it's easier to swallow that it's not a huge change, but we already didn't get really a new generation with the iPhone 7. It was basically an iterative design change. So I, I don't know if that's going to hold as well this time. It doesn't for me. I sheep will buy it. The iPhone is a lot going for it, man. It's hard to just say I sheep. I mean, it really does everything well. It's a well-rounded phone. But I sheep will mm-hmm. buy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People will buy it. They're in that ecosystem and they have to buy a new phone eventually. But... They might not be happy about it. I, the phone that everyone's going to want is the one that's going to be very hard to get and very expensive. If they could produce the eight in, excuse me, the X or the Pro in sufficient quantities, so that they just were driving people towards buying that, that would actually make more sense to me because you're driving your margin up. But we know pretty much for a fact they're not going to have sufficient quantities out there. So, are people just going to sit on the sidelines and buy nothing if they can't have that? That's a fair question. Um, I tend to think no, because I think at some point, even Apple fanboys or people who just want a phone that works for them will be priced out of that market. iPhones are a luxury item. We've talked about this before. I mean, they're a a luxury item that's almost a necessity. I mean, like people got to have a mobile phone. And yeah, you can buy a cheap Android phone or you could go out and buy an iPhone SE if that's what you wanted. But I think people want the the luxury phone option up to a point. And if nothing else, then what this is really doing is it's introducing another category, the super premium tier, if you will. And I think that there are people who will maybe want it, but I think they'll be more off put by the price than they'll want to spend the money on the technology that is a yet to be proven commodity. Yeah, and maybe I'm overestimating how much the average iPhone buyer cares about this kind of stuff. They may not even know it exists. I mean, they're selling what a hundred million of these, seventy million of these things in a quarter yeah. or something. So it's like, yeah. how many of those people actually care about this? Maybe not many. So maybe this isn't a big deal, and I'm overthinking it. But if it were me and I were buying a phone, I'd be hard pressed to buy a phone that looks exactly the same as the last three iPhones, save for a glass back, which is going to be in a case. 
versus this new phone that anyone who sees it can immediately see that it looks completely different and is far more advanced than the others. Uh, that would be a turnoff for me personally. I, I tend to agree. And I think maybe, like you say, I think we'll see. Looking forward to seeing what they have though in the next couple of months, boy, it's, it's exciting. There's a lot happening when typically this has been a slower time of year and, uh, we're still waiting for the essential phone to launch. And we're still waiting and we're going to keep waiting until it proves to be released coming soon to a sprint store near you. I'm still interested in handling it. So there's lots of phones coming out that I'm interested in the next few months. For sure. Anything else about the upcoming iPhone that we didn't touch on? No, I'm really excited to see the the high-end one. It is something different for them, and I think it is pushing the hardware envelope again. And they haven't really pushed the hardware envelope as far, far as form factor in quite a few generations. I think you could actually probably go back to the iPhone 4 when they did the Retina display the first time. It was the like, last time they really pushed hardware. So this is exciting. The iPhone 4 was actually a good little designed phone, too, actually. That was the... Uh, metal frame sandwiched between the two panels of glass. Way ahead of its time. I think it's kind of iconic in a lot of ways. I liked it. Uh, Anything else that we didn't touch on that you want to talk about before we wrap up? No, I think that's pretty much the bulk of it. There's some very early Galaxy S9 and even Note 9 rumors floating around out there. But at this point, when we're this far out, uh, there really isn't a lot to talk about. So we'll wait on that. Sounds good. Well, thanks for, I know this has been a little bit longer than our usual pod, so thank you, dear listener, for sticking it out and getting through the pod up until this point. And um, just a quick reminder that you can find all of our stuff at silicontheory.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at Silicon Theory. You can also check out our Anchor station. Use the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. And as always, you can subscribe to the Silicon Theory podcast on Google Play, iTunes and SoundCloud. And with that, I think we will sign off and say good eve. Good eve, question mark. Or we'll say, let's talk tech soon. Do it again soon.